Welcome back to Books, Films, Titty. This is your host, Titty. Today I'm joined by a special guest, Matthew. And we're going to be talking about the book Dracula by Bram Stoker and then the film Decision to Leave. Matthew couldn't record the second half of this podcast with me, so it's been split into two parts. They both listen like normal episodes, though, so stay tuned. The second half to do with Decision to Leave, directed by Park Chan-wook, will be out soon. We are redoing the intro why, because why, Matthew, why took, you, Matthew took some creative doing? liberties <laughs> for his first, might be last, guest <laughs> appearance on the podcast. But as Matthew was the one who chose Dracula, I'm going to let him do an edited version of his censored. intro. Censored. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So this is what this country has come to. So, folks... Uh, Matilda approached me to do an episode of the, her podcast with her. And when she did that, she asked me to choose the book that we were going to cover. And so I'm a simple man. I'm into the classics. Um, but I felt like I had to find something that was sort of coherent with the other stuff that Matilda covers generally uh, and that she's interested in as well. So I chose to go with Dracula because it's it's quite a unique classic in that it's focused on challenging societal norms, particularly around uh, gender identity and sexuality. But as we're about to see, I think uh, it does this in a really unique way. Mm-hmm. Don't you agree? Yeah. And so I feel like this episode should be, you know, coherent, but also a bit of a, brush, a breath of fresh air. So without further ado, Matilda, what did you think of Dracula? Can I do an immediate side note? I'm sorry to do side notes straight away. We're also discussing it because both of us studied it at the same time but didn't share notes. Yeah. Oh, that's true. So we have no idea what the actual, the other person actually Actually thinks about it despite the fact that we studied it at exactly the same time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it is. That's why I was happy that you chose it. Okay. So now can you answer my question? (laughs) okay part of what i really liked about this was one it reflects the context of when this book was written really really well and like for example with all of the kind of implicit sexual connotations and also on gender politics but my favorite part of Dracula was more the religious side and the religious commentary. That was my favorite bit. And I loved the image of the vampire. And yeah, I just, I think it was really clever in that sense. Um, I also think, one thing I quite like about classics, uh, I'm gonna do a classic next week as well. Uh, So this is relevant for both texts, is the fact that there's so much in classics where nothing is going on, but it still works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, so that's very interesting because in in uh, we don't agree on the same stuff. Mm-hmm. But everything you just talked about is what I was planning to talk about in terms of. More <laughs> so you talked about the religious side of the religious uh, side of this book. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you talked about that because that's one of my favorite parts of the yeah. book. I think it's so well done. It makes so much sense, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and it, it, I think, you know, the, the like, the really, uh, uh, we're going to talk about this later, the really esoteric um, sort of Christian uh, 
uh, rituals that Van Helsing does. I think that's really cool. Um, and so uh, also you talked. So you talked about how rooted in time, that how rooted in its own time this book is. And mm. I think that's one of the central things to. Uh, that's one of the central keys to enjoying this book. Yeah, I um, think you need. I think it's one of those books you need exactly. the context. I was about to, so yeah. I had a teacher, I had a literature 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 teacher in middle school. Who, blah, 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 who blah, was blah. like, <laughs> sorry. Uh, who was like, who told me that uh, good literary analysis ignores the context and ignores the author. I do. And, you cannot apply this, that to this and text. This book is such an is such a good example to demonstrate how full of crap he was. Yeah. It's, it's just like this book makes no sense <laughs> to someone who doesn't understand the context. Yeah. None at all. What is it until Sorry, I just wanted to say, no, a lot of people, when they're talking about this book, they kind of use it as a reference to the beginning of... I don't want to say the beginning. It's not the beginning, but definitely a text that explores a bit of homosexuality in literature in a veiled way. Yeah. Just because there were rumours that Bram Stoker might be... A little fruity. Rumours. Rumours. No, 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 no. I will explain. Half it actually... Wikipedia page is about that crap. Come on. <laughs> no, it's actually... No, because I actually... I really, really researched this. Yeah. And just before we go into anything else, because I think it's really relevant of what I have to say about the religious stuff towards yeah. to, do, to do with Count, Dr- Count Dracula, is that Count Dracula was almost definitely based on Oscar Wilde. Oh. Yeah. I and didn't the, know that. And he started writing the book one month after Oscar Wilde was in prison. Uh-huh. I can't remember the exact term. I think it's for like, it's something to do with indecency. And so he was sentenced for two to two years of hard labor because of it. Mm-hmm. And um, there's also the fact that even though he was good friends with Oscar Wilde, he what? missed him out of this 12, I think like 10 page, 12 page list of names of his acquaintances even though you'd think if you were best mates or at least kind of mates yeah. with it's, someone. It's the 19th century equivalent of not including your friend on your close friend's story on Instagram. Basically. Yeah. It's like, if there was a moment to name drop, it would have been yeah. on it's that cold. list with Oscar Wilde. Yeah. yeah. So you, you talked about Dracula, um, the character, I mean. And one, one thing that I find really impressive with this book is how well it holds up as a really effective thriller, as in... Dracula is actually scary. It's an actually scary villain. Um, um, I, I'll argue that. Mm-hmm. So, a problem that I have, and that's often pointed out in the horror genre, is that as soon as you know what or who the monster is, the film or the book stops being scary. Mm-hmm. I think that the way Dracula sort of corrupts the environment and the people he interacts with, it's really, really, it's extremely poignant. poignant and threatening and um a recurring motif is that the character's assumptions and conceptions of the world stop working when he's in their vicinity yeah and i think that's a really clever way to design the villain not just because it's very scary but also because it serves one of the main ideas of the book one of the central themes which is that the things that hold us together as individuals are really contingent and fragile so like jonathan harker for example uh, in the opening, um, in the opening section of the book, thinks that he's a loyal husband and all that, 
until he sees the three vampires in the, in the gym. Ah, <laughs> yeah. And you knew I was going to talk about yeah, that Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we can go and, back to them. Yeah, They're funny. Yeah, yeah. And he's all like, why is my Todger in a twist, right? Sure, 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 sure. So, you know, um, I, I think I think the Dracula, the villain, Dracula, the concept is extremely well-crafted. And that's one of the strengths of the book. You were talking about how the moment that you know who the villain is, it's the horror movie or the thriller stops being scary. Yeah. And all I could think about was uh, Chucky and the moment he starts speaking, <laughs> I just, I lost it. At the beginning, I was kind of scared yeah. of him. I mean, it's not a super scary film, but as soon as he started speaking, I yeah. just, anyway. But so you were saying about how Count Dracula is, as a character, very, very, like, and as a villain, very very strong yeah. and well built and consistently well built mm-hmm. what i really liked about him and what i really like about the fact that there's a high possibility that he was based off of oscar wilde as well yeah. is the fact that van helsing when he's discussing the vampires he talks about the fact that they are humans who have been abandoned by god mm. Mm-mm. And the idea that this is that essentially this is what humans are like without morals and without the presence of God to kind of give people direction, uh-huh. and I think that's also why he's a bit scary, in the sense that he is so human, and there's like the implication oh, yeah, of the fact that he is that we all have the capacity to be Count Dracula. Exactly, and that the humans, uh, the hu- what, what what I meant when I was saying that. Um, the, the, that he corrupts the people he interacts with. Mm. That the his victims start acting like him, either literally yeah. like Lucy becomes a vampire, mm-hmm. or what I meant like with um, uh, Jonathan Harker, um, letting go of his sexual um, sort of restraint. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I totally agree with you on that. What about your criticisms of the book? What because you said you liked it, but I I sent, I feel like you don't like it as much as I do. I think it's great. I, yeah, I think... See, I have loads of... There are so many elements that I did like. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that I definitely felt that the book lost me as soon as we went out of Transylvania. Yeah. As soon as you got out of Transylvania. That early? Yeah, that early. Really? I mean, maybe still at Whitby. I don't know, it just kind of, there's something about moving back into London and maybe maybe it was losing that setting as well. Because mm-hmm. Whitby, you still get this impression that it's kind of outside of normal society, kind of away, put aside. Yeah. But when you enter London and it's much more familiar and it's much more modern and they have a plan and they're yeah, organised, yeah. it feels the tension that you feel at the beginning of the book and the atmosphere that you feel in the beginning of the book is gone Mm -hmm. and i think you know we we discussed this in class about the importance of setting and the fact that the reason why he uses eastern europe is because we have back in those days like in the context of when this book is written people have their own conception of what eastern europe is like and we see it as somewhere far away actually like a far away land yeah exactly i agree with you that the that transylvania and whitby are much more um evocative see, uh, um, sort of environments mm-hmm. uh, backgrounds for the rest of, I think the, the the scene 
the few pages where you where um, Dracula's arrival into um, into England that's so well done yeah oh, man the, no, it's so, the, so, so the, good. Uh, the article that describes like the storm oh that's so sick yeah and like when he when the the whole um dramatic irony of like you see the you see a uh, the shipwreck come in and then a dog jumps out and runs yeah away. and you know that's dracula it feels like it feels so scary because it feels like this sort of this yeah. like maybe this kind of virus that's yeah. coming in that's that um infects it's infecting it's terrifying it's so 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 good you can't um, criticize the way that this was written like the the whole the diary entries yeah, the telegraphs so it's creative, so cool so cool and that uh, from a writer's perspective that's really hard because you also have to you, the, the the it's really he really um stoker really puts some effort into this as in mina doesn't write the same way that dr seward does mm-hmm. jonathan doesn't write the same way that uh, Van Hel- uh, well, we don't get anyways. We do have Van Helsing, just but a little it's bit. Different. But it's mostly Doctor. It's mostly Doctor Seward and Mina, Mina and, Jonathan m- and Jonathan. Um, those are main ones, uh, but it's so good, so good. Mm. Um, really, uh, uh, makes the really really adds some dynamism to the to the overall story. I think. So you said that the the stories, you know, kind of goes on a downward trajectory after they leave Transylvania. For me, it's the sort of third act where, um, you know, Lucy dies. And so they, you know, whatever. That, that, yeah. By the way, that's the best scene in the book. It's yeah. when they, they kill Lucy the vampire. It is also, also weirdly funny as well. Yeah, Just because yeah. of the way but it's handled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Um, <laughs> God, I'm glad you agree. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when they, after they've killed Lucy, they go on this chase. They chase after Dracula. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it's the idea behind that is that, you know, at the time, the adventure novel was really in vogue. And so Bram Stoker kind of wanted to recreate this, like, adventure feeling with, like, the gang going after Dracula. It's. It gave like famous five. It's so it's famous five <laughs> levels of quality, and so it's just there's such a drop off in my opinion. Yeah. When you compare it to those unbelievable, unbelievable scenes in Transylvania. Yeah. The, you know the the whole thing when they're with Lucy and they're giving her blood and stuff like that. It's so cool. It's, it's <laughs> so, there's such those are such good passages. Yeah. Um, I love the the moments. Uh, my. A personal favorite uh, passage of mine is when Van Helsing is explaining to Doctor Seward how, uh, how paranormal activities can mm. occur, and and it's leading up to the revelation, which is that he always, he knew all along that Lucy was a vampire. Yeah, and that's so that's so good. That's so good. And and just this third act is the the pacing falls off a cliff yeah pages of nothing <laughs> and then and like the resolution of the whole thing happens in about 30 30 maybe yeah. i mean the final scene where they actually i mean this isn't a massive spoiler but when they manage to actually get rid of dracula yeah. it happens in five pages yeah. <laughs> five I, pages I, I i just think that the second maybe the the yeah the, the third act is just not good not good Mm-mm. Um and and this is a ge- my general critique of this book is that it's bloated is that th- th- there's there's well that's what I said have, wasn't it yeah you have uh, pretty much you have yeah. ma- 
moments of amazing quality and then you have so much that just feels watered down unnecessary and i want to say this that applies to the characters as well and we're going to get onto that i think that there are some characters that just are so forgettable when you and it's even more stark it's even more noticeable when you have some characters that are so well written and so good yeah okay because I did say that I actually quite like the fact that there's a lot not going on in classics and it still works. And I do stand by that. There, it, like, there is definitely some bloating in this book. But if you think about all of that beginning passage, basically that first chapter where Jonathan Harker is just explaining his travels yeah. and the way things change and the way things evolve and the attitudes of the people. And you get this moment right before he first meets Count Dracula where mm. he's explaining the attitudes of the people on the coach who are yeah. all doing the signs, warding across, um, warding away evil, and, the and they're giving the gifts. The, yeah. yeah. And then you've got, they're, they're actually driving faster and everyone seems really excited about him uh -huh. basically riding to his death. And like, he even says, Jonathan Harker says, when he's writing down in his, like, you know, in his little diary, he's saying, I got worried that I was you know describing things too much at the beginning of this yeah, diary but i realize yeah. now that i probably had a point yeah and i that's that's great yeah so i agree yeah. with you that there are certain points which do feel like where you get the genuine sensation that there's just, just too much detail such as like you know at the end when we learn about the entirety of Mina's sleep schedule for the next <laughs> for the last 20 days leading up to Dracula and you're just like so I just don't superfluous. care but so at the same at the same time at the same time these are passages from people's journals and we do pick up on yeah, on those true. kind of details that's a good point that's a good point I've in terms of ah last thing that I wanted to say last thing last thing as in last thing Last thing, in terms of when we're talking about our overall opinions... Yeah, yeah, okay. ...in this section, because mm -hmm. I really want to say this. The whole stuff about... Um, so we talked... So, no, we haven't quite touched no. upon gender and sexuality. No. We're, talking about, we're talking about that when we talk about the specific characters, right? But I just want to say... Um, the whole... Crit uh, one of the main ideas of Dracula this whole critique of scientism and an overly rationalistic uh, sort of view of the world, I think he, like, he took the main problem of Victorian society and he, he just hit the nail on its head, dude. Yeah. That's so pertinent. It's so good. And it, personally, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a hill that I'm willing to die on because I think this is one of our, the main problems of current society as well, is that we consider ourselves so scientific and objective and we're not we're, we're just not not any or at least we're not not like a, um, a, a specific specifically so compared to other societies mm -hmm. I, I just, and so you know that's and that um, again we're going to talk about the characters that's what makes the relationship between Dr. Seward and Van Helsing so special uh, Van Helsing, who offers a sort of, uh, who who shows that science doesn't fill in the gaps for spirituality, and and there is a part of the unknown which humanity has to embrace, and I think that's that's something, and it's uh, it's um, it's one of those 
actually philosophical ideas that for me hits harder in literature as in you cannot convey that message better in in a philosophy book than in a, a fiction like this i think showing through uh this evil through, through this sort of mysterious monster who works in very you know uh, who, who's kind of esoteric and whatnot i think that's such an evocative way of, of even if um you know this this very victorian idea of christianity might not be uh, uh what what we come to what we uh, come to in terms of spirituality today mm-hmm. i think that the, the the idea behind it still it's still very much relevant to this absolutely. day Okay. Should we talk about the girls now? Should we talk about oh, those gender politics? Oh, you want to you talk about the girls? I wanna want to talk about the gender okay, politics. Okay, and th- this is like, I think, okay, this is more to do with the famous Overton window. Uh-huh. Because this is... You remembered the name. I know I remembered the name. I didn't say Oswald <laughs> Matilda, or Alfred. Matilda calls it something. She, she calls it like the Alfred. It's okay. I've got loads of good window. friends who will tell, remind me of what it is. So many good friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're the, we're the brains behind this podcast. <laughs> Um, you just provide us with a soothing voice. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. We got so excited by the fact that I remembered that the Overton window is actually called the Overton window that we forgot to explain what the Overton window is. Um, <laughs> so we use this a bit uh, more loosely than its actual you know, textbook definition, but it's usually a term used in in politics to refer to what is considered to be acceptable in the eyes of the public when it comes to political policies or political discourse but here when we're referring to it uh, in the context of our conversation we're talking about Victorian norms and what practices are inside of what is acceptable in Victorian society and which go outside of it that is basically the definition and yeah Keep going on. <laughs> I hope the rest of our conversation makes a bit more sense now. What I liked in this book, which was, you know, the com- the the religious commentary, and also we haven't really discussed this, but kind of the conversation about, and there's not, there's not a lot to discuss, it's just something I really like, which is the blend between violence and eroticism, which is explored in the book. Uh-huh. And that's something I really liked. But why I would recommend this book is because it very clearly delimits what you can say and what you can't. Like, the Overton window is literally what is discussed in this book. Uh And part of the... And I say this also because... This isn't, like, factually, but that you get that impression from this book. It makes sense because in 1908... See, I, d- I did my facts for this. I did my ah, facts. I was okay. like, I'm going to check. I'm going to make sure I know this stuff. So in 1908, uh, Bram Stoker starts campaigning for the censorship of fiction. And one of the main things that he's campaigning against is sexual content in fiction. <laughs> That's so good. So he must have known, or like, I assume that he must have felt that his texts were just okay. They were fine. That they, they were okay. But then he must have had a clear... I don't know what he decided was specifically too much in literature. 
But it's so interesting when you think that he was trying to censor, he was trying to delimit. Yeah. When you considered that that text, Dracula, is considered to be a kind of groundbreaking oh, text man. when For it me, comes some to... Of the, some of this goes yeah. over the top, even by today's standards, right? Yeah. Like, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, so, interesting. so the guy who basically pushed the limits or went very close to the limits was the one trying to... I re-establish having, said limits. Having, you know, re-studied this, re-read this book, I feel like Bram Stoker <laughs> didn't completely... <laughs> sorry, un- sorry, 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 Go on. sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're lucky sorry. I'm not allowed I to swear. I can't laugh because otherwise the mic... <laughs> no, will... <laughs> um, uh, he doesn't... I don't think he understood. He doesn't understand, for example, in, in his representations of women... I don't think he understands like how much of a feminist text this is, and I'm you know I'm gonna let you segue on this, the the whole um, representation of women that Starker uh, uh, Stoker Stoker, Stoker ooh Christ. you were Christ. making your comments about Overton Window and you can't even remember the author of the book. I'm gonna let you segue on this. Mm-hmm. Um, the all the, all the reflection all the. It's okay. We're going to start talking about Mina and Lucy now. That's what he means. So, this is... This is not us coming up with these terms. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, in Victorian times, there were two female archetypes. So, there's the angel of the household, and then there's the fallen woman. And you have two main female characters who are best friends. You have Mina... And you have Lucy. Mina fits into the angel of the household. She does. She angel does. of the household archetype. And Lucy fits into the fallen woman archetype. But both of them fit into it kind of awkwardly. Yeah. As in they're not they're not completely archetypal. Yeah. Mina. <laughs> Me I I was so this is the I don't actually have a problem with what happened with Lucy. It's more the way that Mina was handled that makes me feel infuriated and okay. and why I feel like but it's before, you can't genuinely consider this, it to be a feminist get, text. Before we get into this, what is your rating for Mina? What do you rate her as a character? See, the thing is, is she deserves so much credit because the entire thing wouldn't have been possible without her. Oh, dude, they'd, they'd all be dead. If they they were would have all died. Jonathan Hart would have been dead, like... <laughs> one Most one he wouldn't have been nursed back to health he would have died in that monastery yeah, with the yeah. nuns but the thing is is that i just from the way that bram stoker used lucy and mina i got the genuine impression that bram stoker didn't actually like women that much <laughs> in the sense that mina mina is literally a man like every and what they I mean literally by that, say that, that. They, they literally, literally, they literally say, that. say that and and van helsing is like Oh, you're so much like a man. You're so great. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, all, that's all there is. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, I, sorry, I was trying to remember. I, and the thing is, is both characters are just so unnecessarily sympathetic towards men. As in, not, Dude. and I don't mean that. I don't mean it like that. I mean that multiple times, Lucy, for example, she's like, we oh, I feel so. Them. We don't deserve men. They're so wonderful. Yeah. Blah blah blah. This what happens. A, this doesn't girl. happen once. What this happens like two, girl. three times. All the time. 
And so they, she basically, there's so much singing of men's praise that at a certain, to a certain point, it's just painful. And then you've got Mina, who, despite being a very progressive modern woman, which is why you can argue that Mina's a feminist character. And this is not, I just want to make, okay, I'll make the side note afterwards. But she is so, everything she does is for her husband. Yeah. And yeah. while I'm not and like, that, and that's why even though she's a very capable woman and all that, and that's what and so that would make you think she's not the angel of the house since yeah. all of it is for her husband that makes her the angel of the house. Exactly, exactly. And that's not to say that just to make it very clear, that's not to say that supporting your husband and being a housewife and all that. That's not to say that that isn't feminist. And just my my general point with Mina is the fact that neither character got to be progressive no neither one of them got to be completely progressive and, and that's part of what's you know and that that helps demonstrate where the overton window is you can have progressive modern women but they must remain at the side of men because otherwise how are we supposed to root for them yeah yeah i mean it, it maybe i'm being too harsh because I, like I think it's being, feminist in its context. I, I feel like you're, you're being a little harsh. You always, you, you know, I hate to bring up the classic argument, this was the 19th century. Yeah, but it was but the 19th it century. Was, it was the 19th century. Yeah. And I, I still think, for example, yes, Mina is progressive only because she's a girl boss girl who acts like a man. But she's still a cool character man. yeah she is and, and you, you still I, I, and she's also very believable I, I don't think she's a poorly written character no not at all well she's one of the few ones who's well written she, yeah she, she's believable and, and I, I think that for Bram Stoker to make us care about these characters to begin with that's an accomplishment in of itself I think he's a good he's a good writer all, all, all things considered mm-hmm. you know I just wish that he'd I almost wish there was a third character or female character I think that, well there is there's Lucy's mother who just kicks the bucket essentially as soon yeah as well uh, yeah. yeah it's fun yeah and then you've got the three vampire brides yeah. we we know that they're we know that they're evil because they're vampires yeah. that, and, that's and, definitely and, and not they're allowed sexually, and they're sexually attractive yeah um you can definitely tell what was considered to be okay for a woman and what was not considered to be okay. Yeah, I of course. And what was considered proper. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I would recommend it. Yeah, and that, that's what that I was going to say. I don't have to like it. Yeah, of course. Um, but I can still respect it for the commentary it, it gives. And there's, and there's uh, I, I agree. Yeah. I have nothing to add. I completely <laughs> agree. Let's talk about uh, Mr. Mina's husband, because yeah, I'm time to do that. this. I'm going to be calling him that Mina's husband. Mina's husband, because clearly Jonathan Harker for me is a D minus. He is not an F because he has good taste in women. Yeah, because he's gonna he married Miss Mina Miss and he Mina. had a child with Miss Mina, yeah, which is a slam dunk. Good for you, Jonathan. Yeah, you but that's the only reason he doesn't that's fail. Because otherwise, as a character, besides the fact that he's involved in like the final scene and he, he gets to kill Dracula, he's such a dud of a character. He's such a I think yeah. he got lucky. 
Because this guy clearly can't recognize red flags. Because my guy strolls up into Transylvania and there's, <laughs> I mean, come on. At a certain point, if the locals are putting garlic around their neck, you got to get the hell out of there. Yeah, man. he had no come survival on. instinct at come all. On. Conclusion, with Jonathan Harker haters. I want to say maybe Stoker made Jonathan such a wet little... Fish? Fish. Dead fish. Dead fish. On purpose. Because Jonathan Harker, when you first see him, he seems to be this guy who's kind of fine, you know? He's yeah. he, he he's a, he's this businessman. He knows what he's doing. He's well he's well educated and stuff like that. He's called mm-hmm. Jonathan, he's called John. Yeah. Which is the most average thing. And you see him be completely defenseless against uh Dracula and all that. Mm, that's fair. And maybe the point is that the average English uh, gentleman just isn't well equipped to deal with these, to deal with the kind of mm, like normal people. Yeah, the your normal English bloke who just can't deal with with the. Um... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. Maybe, maybe it's that. So, um, that's Jonathan Huck covered. We need to ask the important question, which is. Who's your favourite character? <laughs> I have to go with Helen Helsing. Helsing's my favourite. Basic answer. Basic? Basic answer. The two basic answers are Van Helsing and, and Nina. Nina. The interesting answers are Lucy and Renfield. And the Renfield. most and the most Renfield. interesting is Renfield. Because he is a good character. And I understand why Van Helsing is your favourite character, but the best character, if we're talking about best as in cool characters, is Renfield. Okay. And Count Dracula gets to be in there too. Count, if we top Dracula, five characters, oh, oh, Renfield, Lucy, Mina, Van Helsing, and Dracula. Um. Oh, I just want to say about Dracula. So I, okay. when I was a kid, I had this maths teacher. He's called Mr. Pat. He's Austrian and Hungarian. So he's this very elegant, old-fashioned man. Um, you know, he he would take his time when he sipped his tea. He was all, he's very tall and lanky. Mm-hmm. He's a fairly um advanced age. And he was very eloquent when he talked, but he also had like this thick Central European accent. <laughs> um, and instead of helping me with my last problems, he just didn't care. Give me this book full of riddles. I had to figure out the riddles and all that. I was like ten, and a bunch of the riddles were about Dracula. I d- and I, and this this sprung to my mind recently, uh, and so basically, I don't. F- my my conclusion is this: I don't feel scared by Dracula in that first section of the book. Really? Because. He's like this friendly Austrian dude. I want to talk about Count Dracula, but we need to... Okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll just tell you what my notes were, because my... This is what... You know, when I looked at you, you know, when we were were having our coffee, and I said... I laughed audibly, and I was like, oh, what I have to say about Count Dracula is really funny. Count Dracula, theatre kid. He was out here. He was playing his little roles. He was the the chariot guy. He was the butler. He was the head of the household. <laughs> he'd learnt, He'd done his homework. He knew who he was supposed to do. He had all his texts. And he would yeah, be practicing he, he read, on. He like knew the. He like knew the train routes and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Some theatre kid. He was doing man. the voices oh. and stuff. No, he was so funny. He was hilarious. He's just a child. It's like he's a bored child and Jonathan Harker is his new toy. And mm. and and it's not really explained why Dracula wants to go to to London. Not really. Besides the idea that it's modern and it's new and it's a new place to conquer, but it's cuz he's bored. 
In my opinion, it's because he's really? bored. That's not at all. Right. <laughs> I, I completely disagree, man. I, I, I essentially read the... I essentially read the book as Dracula being Satan. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. I think... No, I like... Yeah, there's is. definitely religious commentary, but I did not think that. Well, that's your problem. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. No. I yeah, don't... No, I just don't yes, agree with yes, you. Dracula's obviously the devil. No. He's really bad at being the devil. Like, he has demon tendencies yeah. like all of his corruption and stuff yeah. and the way he's kind of mesmerizes people he's not the devil Proper. and go on um who's next who's renfield renfield, renfield. my man so this is why renfield is the best character first of all he started he, dr seward takes note of him at the beginning of july on the first of july Dracula hasn't arrived yet. Dracula only arrives in August the 8th. Which means that Renfield was doing weird stuff a month before Dracula's even there. Which is really cool. Which is really cool. Because it means that somehow either Dracula's corrupted him beforehand, which doesn't really make sense, uh, or uh, he was already... Yeah, I don't agree with you. But... Or there was already something weird going on where he was... Cause Renfield has such a split personality. I feel like he is... His importance as a character is that he is the representation of that idea of we all have the monster inside of us. Yeah, Because he has... He's literally both of them at the same time. Yeah. And so that's that's part of why he's scary. That's why I think there's also that element of he starts acting that way before Dracula even... Yeah, is in London. And, and every t- so every time we get um, a description of Renfield, it's Doctor Seward who's doing it. In yeah. His little, um, in his log, in his medical log, mm-hmm. and w- Doctor Seward kind of represents uh, the Victor, the very Victorian rational si- doctor guy, mm-hmm. um, and he's trying to analyze, as you described, this phenomenon of kind of a normal dude every once in a while going completely ballistic and acting in really strange um bizarre but he's way. not he's more but, well he's more animal than normal yeah, dude yeah yeah, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely of course and so, but and what's great is that doctors who never is trying to he's trying to kind of log when uh renfield is acting normally when he's not mm-hmm. he's trying to analyze this in a very empirical scientific way and it doesn't work no it doesn't work and he, does, he just can't because he, he tries to, to kind of draw a pattern he just yeah. doesn't get it and then he only starts understanding it when after van helsing tells him start doubting what you see mm-hmm. and start thinking if start imagining that things can exist without you perceiving them yeah and that's really, really awesome. That's one of the book, that's one of the plot points that the book does really well. So, you saying that Renfield is very well done, I completely agree. Yeah. Now that I've thought about it, yes. Yeah. yeah. You make a good point. I agree with you. So I just think he was overall like a useful character as well. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Also, um, Dracula could have totally not featured this character. It's a very interesting. Yeah. Choice um, addition yeah. to have. Um, because he doesn't have, he doesn't really, he doesn't have much function. Yeah. 
he, he just makes Dracula. He makes Dracula exactly. He makes yeah. Dracula scarier. Yeah, exactly. Because you already find Renfield really sinister in his thinking yeah. and that idea of consuming life yeah. to strengthen himself. Yeah. So when you when you already find Renfield creepy, it enhances what Dracula and is doing as something absolutely. that is terrifying. And again, again. We talked about one of the advantages of classics is that you can't you have this time to do this kind of deep world building and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and that's the, and and there's especially this this um this book with all of its points of views and its different plot points having this the Renfield subplots. Brilliant. Great. Good job. Now Van Helsing, you get to speak Van about Hel- Van Helsing Van now. Van Helsing, he's, again, he's such a convincing character. And as this book functions as a critique of Victorian society, he is such a good, he's so good, dude. I I love him. He keeps the balance. Because it is a critique of Victorian society, but it knows that it can't be critical to the point of it's not, being rev- it's not a revolutionary Yeah, it's not a revolutionary book. It's not a revolutionary book. But Van Helsing is able to put across a point against the idea that that science and the rational can explain everything very convincingly because he's a doctor yes, and because he has course. the credentials. Yeah, and that's why he's good as a character abso- as well. Absolutely. So that he's... It's interesting because when Dr. Seward introduces him mm-hmm. and he's like, let's bring your Van Helsing over here to treat your friend Lucy. Mm-hmm. He says that he's um, a philosopher and a world-renowned Yeah. Scientist. And so this, I think this is the idea that um, uh, uh, Stoker wants to put forward is not that science doesn't work and that we sh- it's not a noble pursuit, but that it should be amended, that it's in fact... Um, uh, benefits from this uh, so, uh, so-called humanist approach, which is, yeah, which basically says that we can't explain everything. Um, and and you and I, we both really appreciate the Christian, the um, the Christian themes. The Van Helsing being a man of faith, it's so and. Y- What's so great is that normally you'd think that a Victorian representation of Christianity, normally it's going to be feel rather dated and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Here it works so well. And Van Helsing, it's so key. Van Helsing's faith is so convincing. And, um... <sighs> no, I, I completely, and, uh, yeah. And, the, the again, something that Bram Stoker does, I think, well, is that he makes his characters consistent. And That's so, for true. example, Van Helsing being this sort of, quote-unquote, humanist philosopher, mm-hmm. he also appreciates the fact, he, for example, um, when, they're, when they're killing, when they're slaying um, Lucy the vampire, mm-hmm. he, 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 he's very, or even when Lucy dies, mm-hmm. the way... He, he um, approaches it from an emotional point of view. Yeah. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And the, the way he he kind of 
you you see you see this this guy who's not only very intelligent but possesses emotional intelligence and yeah. empathetic and that's so convincing he, mm-hmm. he possesses that wisdom but he's a likable character despite giving a point of view that might not appeal to victorians or yeah. a certain a yeah. certain he's aspect of victorian society undeniably admirable yeah he's a good character and he's, he, and he's such a good character just really yeah. well written in my opinion yeah it's, he's convincing he's and he, Despite being controversial, he still like Mina. Despite being controversial, he's he remains admirable, admirable yeah. and credible, and very human. Yeah, a, and and that just shows very strong, empathetic way. Empathetic. That sh- that shows very strong writing from the Stoker. Really thought this stuff through. And you can't have all good characters. Like not every character is going to be amazingly well built. So it is. Yeah. There's something to be said about the fact that there's definitely four great characters. Yeah, and again, as we said, for example, Jonathan, maybe he's he's a boring and 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 kind of middle of the road, mediocre on mm-hmm. purpose. That's probably you can't have every single character being super intelligent or. Or, or, or super wise like um, yeah. Van Helsing. So even though we really don't like yeah. him. Yeah. But Van Helsing, <laughs> Van Helsing, his um, his relationship with Arthur is awesome. His relationship yeah. with Doctor Seward is awesome. His relationship with Mina is really cool because he's so admirative. Yeah. Even though we have our problems with that. I love to have known because I think Van Helsing is based off of someone else, and I'd Shh. love to have known Shh. who it was. I don't know. But it would be interesting. It would be interesting to know who it was based yeah, on. But yeah, I, I do agree that you think that he had someone in mind when he was... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just want to say something. Mm-hmm. If you... And I'm talking to the audience here. So if you enjoyed the societal angle of this book, I think you'd really like this writer called Evan Vore. He wrote something like 30 or 40 years after Stoker did... And he describes the decline of the Victorian society that Stoker is describing. Mm-hmm. And how it becomes spiritually void and decadent. Because the answer, the answer, as we established in Dracula, is Christianity's faith in God. And, yeah. And living a moral, good life and all that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Evan Vore, he kind of... All of his books revolve around this this um, notion, this topic. Um, his famous, most famous one is Brideshead Revisited, but for my money, his masterpiece is A Handful of Dust. It features like really witty and blood humour, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I think is, um, it's just something that novels were able to do uh, 30 or 40 years later, which... Books Wouldn't from the eighteen nineties yeah. couldn't aren't unable to do, yeah. at least for a modern audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels much more modern, and yet it's describing more or less the same thing. Um, really, really funny, and you see all the repressed desires that we talked about kind of emerge in real life and lead to this societal collapse. It's really awesome. So, yeah. yeah, I think we can wrap it up. Well, we can wrap up Dracula on that. Yeah. <laughs> So that was very enjoyable. Thank you for that, Matilda. No problem. We've been talking for a while. 
but I know you're very passionate on this topic. So just because both of us watch, have watched Avatar now. I watched Avatar on Friday with my sister and I watched Puss in Boots on Saturday. Both, both high quality sequels. What did you think of Avatar? <laughs> Avatar 2 um, on just about every level is such a cinema is such a cinematic catastrophe. <laughs> it's, it fails in absolutely mm-hmm. everything it achieves to do. And it, 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 when you think of how much money, how much budget these AAA studios have to work with and to produce such uninteresting content, it's just formidable. It's and it's... Script. The script. Oh, the, the writing. The dialogue. Oh, it's such a, it's a, I mean, it's a catastrophe, the dialogue, well, oh my god, it's so bad, and oh my god, the, the fucking uh, human boy, he's so cringe, he's such a shit character, and you could have done something really interesting with him, how like he's, you know, he's like, um, uh, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a human, but also he's one of, the, he's one of them, so he's like torn between those two, no, there's none of that, he ends up being really cringe, and like, when his dad is full on genociding the fucking sea people. He's <laughs> he's like stop, stop. You're you're being so you're being so mean. It's like shut the fuck up. It's so bad. It's so bad. And during the entire mi- for the for an hour, the the story stops and they focus on the kids like chasing around fucking whales in the sea and riding dolphins. To and try to reintegrate oh, Matthew. It's, so, it's just so. What the fuck is this movie even about, man? And at the beginning, there's a, there's a whole civil, there's the whole war. Yeah. The war against the humans. Okay, yeah, I have to agree. Yeah. With you. No, the no, fact no. that it got so sidetracked. It got is like so, so sidetracked. But see, the thing is, is like what I didn't get was the fact that the the CGI. Okay, the CGI was great though. I love the CGI. Oh my the gosh, CGI the graphics amazing. were amazing. And you cannot you cannot criticize the use of the budget for that. And that's what's crazy is the fact that they had such a big budget. They executed everything very well. And it's just the screenwriting was was so dumb. And I actually didn't mind the dialogue that much. It was just the fact that why on earth, when a whole entire planet is being colonized, is the story focused on this one guy carrying out this vendetta they, against the one guy that has now left and is no longer even no carrying longer out part, any interaction or anything. He's literally he's literally irrelevant to the like overall politics of the world. Yeah. So it's just terrible world building. And then they never reference the war ever again at the end. <laughs> no, he said that he has to take a stand he here, to- you know. You told me you just you said that we both watched Avatar, but that's not exactly true. Because for the last twenty minutes I fucking fell asleep during the finale guys i'm not even kidding i'm not saying this because i want to be like cool or interesting i fell asleep during the (laughs) (laughs) i fell asleep the funniest thing is i went to see it and one of the people i went to see was crying when i was like hitting my z's on this shit because i couldn't give a rat's ass about what was going on no i actually felt this no those z's (laughs) And the finale is so bad. The finale is so bad. I just have to say, no, I just... Okay, look. Okay, first of all, I actually thought the end scene was gorgeous. 
Okay. No, you can't lie. This whole end scene is gorgeous. The main problem is the plot. Okay. The main problem was the plot. But. That's a pretty integral part of the film, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. That's what I mean. Like, that's like, if the plot doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like Too many characters. You don't care about the characters. You know that, like, so, you know, it's, it's. The, the idea behind the first avatar it's about colonialism yeah that's yeah. gone in this but, one even though we like, do feel very i know a, 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 a very and a very like logical uh step from that is to talk about how are the relations between the different tribes of the i didn't even realize there were different tribes yeah until this yeah film and that's something they really could have fleshed out and that would have been really cool yeah then the whole idea because apparently they know about them yeah how do these different societies interact? They don't care. It's like brushed over. I'm sorry. I've I really have nothing good to say about the film apart from the graphics. That's fair. So I really I really enjoyed it as an experience. I watched it with my brother, and we we were watching it in a cinema. For, we were watching it in France, actually, and we were watching it as. And we were the only people speaking English in the cinema. Everyone else was reading the subtitles. Yeah. And so while everyone was like kind of getting into the story, we were laughing our asses <laughs> off because we were like, this is the most ridiculous shit ever. <laughs> and so and so that was that was very enjoyable. And then, um, of course, we have the iconic picture of me falling asleep. Yeah. Which will feature. Yeah, it will be up. Don't which worry. will be featured, which is up. You can now understand why they're going to do five films. I think, unfortunately, I'm not feeling very... You're still going to go? Of course I'm going to go. <laughs> and it's way too much fun to... to it's mm. so much fun to crap all over this. I, I hope it's still shitty in, like, a fun way, because, like... Yeah, I mean, it would be a disappointment otherwise, wouldn't it? But I think you might be being a little bit harsh. Do you not feel that way? On Avatar? Yeah. It's okay, you can have a you can have a concise opinion on this. I thought it was bad. I didn't I didn't think it was bad. I like the acting. That's the thing. I hate it when there's good acting. Oh, uh, that there was actually that, okay. So you know what? Good acting is really hard when the script is bad. Yeah. And I thought um, the All things mother, considered, yeah. The mother plays really well. She's always great. Isn't she's she? always great, right? Because she's super. You can hear the emotion in her voice when yeah. she's protecting her children. That's interesting. But again, every time I get a grain of good stuff from that film, I'm like, ah, oh, I just wish this movie was always this good. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night. Anyways. Now Matthew so, has finished trashing um, I've done my thing Avatar. Already. So I think we can definitely... So I watched Puss in Boots too, but you haven't. I think we can definitely say that there's... Puss in Boots 2 is overall a better rounded film. But Avatar still holds its ground because of the CGI and how good it is. But the real question, the question that no one is asking, and I want to know your opinions on is is Puss in Boots 2 better than Shrek 2 what's funny is that I haven't watched Puss in Boots 2 as yeah, you established you earlier yeah suck and you um, can't say anything no. about it because it will be other, they will be allowed to express their opinions you can express your opinion 
I, I, online. I, I know. I know what I'm gonna answer. My answer is Kung Fu Panda Two, the greatest <laughs> animated sequel of all time. Um, and that's a wrap. 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 Um, I'd love to know your opinions on the social media. Um, I'm so grateful you guys could join us for the second episode. It was very different. I think you know this is the first episode of this type as well, so it'll be worked on. It will get better. It doesn't get better than it doesn't get better than me, guys. I'm sorry. The the, the series. Well, you're peaked, giving yourself the, a. The series peaks on number two, just like Kung Fu Panda, baby. Woo. So, <laughs> he's demolishing the mic. So, I but I had a good time. We had a good time. So yeah, and I'll see you. I'll see you next week. Honestly, this next. Uh, this next adaptation is quite something i'm really excited to be discussing it with you for those of you because i i posted the the first episode yesterday for those of you who showed your support and who are most definitely hopefully listening to the episode now i'm very grateful um if you're new my social medias are linked in the description of this podcast but also on the description of this episode yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and I hope you have a great day, a great evening. I hope you enjoy. Bye. You have to say, I hope you enjoy. (laughs) Go, you have to say, I hope you enjoyed. Have a nice day. I hope you enjoyed. Have a nice day. That's very sensual of me.